0: Book of Revelation chapter 2, Revelation is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love it, it's, it's in its simplicity, it's not pro- as profound, or it's profound in its truth, but it's certainly not complicated, uh, we just read the Word of God. But uh, the book of Revelation is basically a record of John's vision of Jesus, and um, the things, as he says in chapter 1, verse 1, that he's writing so that his people, his servants, know the things that are to come upon the earth not just for the sake of us saying, hey, this stuff's going to happen, but to recognize that as we are here in the midst of that, that Jesus has a purpose for us, and it's a glorious purpose, things he still has in store in the days ahead. Uh, Chapter uh, chapter 2, we are reading the words that uh, Jesus dictates to John. He actually uh, tells John to write seven letters in chapter 2 and 3, and in those letters, of course, he's outlining uh, particular conditions that he saw in certain segments of the larger church, the church body as a whole. Uh, But he also addresses seven specific churches, basically by a way of saying to each church, I just want to talk to you about this particular thing. And if you've read those, you know what I mean. If not, it's a short read. You can look at it yourself. But we come to uh, the first letter, which is a message to the believers in a city called Ephesus. These were actual churches, actual cities. And uh, so he has very clear words for them that relate to us as well just want to read the first four and a half verses. I'm going to ask you to maybe join with me if you have your Bibles, if not on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And perhaps we could bring that scripture up and we will uh, read verses uh, 1 through to uh, halfway through verse 5. Let's read together. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know what you have done. I know how hard you have worked and how patient you have been. I know that you cannot tolerate evil people and that you have tested those who say they are apostles but are not and have found out that they are liars. You are patient. You have suffered for my sake and you have not given up. But this is what I have against you. You do not love me now as you did at first. Think how far you have fallen Turn from your sins and do what you did at first. Now, before we focus on what exactly Jesus said, I want us to understand that the real focus in these opening chapters, of in, in fact, the entire book of Revelation, it's actually on Jesus himself. And this is what he says. He says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who, holds and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Jesus is walking through his church. That's the vision John has. He's walking through the body of Christ, the believers in that region. And he actually has seven stars in his right hand. And commentators and other translations of scripture reveal that those seven stars are basically seven messengers. They are, uh, they are seven, the, the leaders of those particular churches, many believe. And so when he, refer, when he talks about having stars in his hands, he's not saying that the pastors, the leaders are stars in the sense of celebrities, rather what he's saying is that they're individuals who have been given to that local church, that they might communicate something about the light of Jesus Christ, uh, the life of Christ in the midst uh, as, as they share with God's people. And so the seven stars are church leaders. As you read on, we see that the seven lampstands are actually the churches themselves. And the picture that John sees is Jesus moving among the church and much like you would in the old days, if you had candlelight and the candles were dripping, he's trimming the candles, he's pruning, you might say, in order that the lights are able to remain strong and burn bright and not be extinguished by the wax and the residue and so on. But he's also pointing out the fact that Jesus is the source of the light that is shining in the church and in individuals. Jesus is the source of that light. He's the sustainer of that light. In fact, although the uh, leaders, the stars, are relatively important in that church, they're also relatively insignificant because it's really the body of believers. It's the whole collective of, of, of followers of Jesus Christ who themselves are the lampstand that are a light, uh, as Jesus would say in the Gospel of Matthew, who are a, a light on a hilltop that are, that are shining in the communities in which God has called them to minister and to transform. And so the church is that larger light. Now, all seven letters have something to say to all of us, but I, I kind of felt as I was reading through this that if Jesus was to write a letter to us here at Glad Tidings, it would probably sound somewhat similar to what he had said to the church in Ephesus. But the focus of the letter is on the fact that Jesus is the heartbeat of the church, and I really want you to get a hold of that this morning, that Jesus is the heartbeat of the church. As the one who stands in the midst of the church, as the one who stands in the midst of his people, Jesus wants us to understand that you have nothing. You have no resource except what it is that flows from his hands. You, you have nothing. What you have comes from him. If you have anything of value, anything of significance, anything that's going to burn brightly, it has to come from him. There's no other reason for the power in your midst. If you're going to keep the lights on, then you've got to keep Jesus on. If the lights are going to stay on in the church, then Jesus has to be the center, he has to be the focus. Other than him, there is no reason for being because the church is all about Jesus. And so, in the first letter, he's addressing a particular church, and again, as I think he might very well address us as a church or us as individuals, and what he's not saying is, hey, what's this all about? If he was to talk to us here this morning, I don't believe he'd look around at who we are and what we've just done, or maybe what's in our church bulletin or whatever. He wouldn't say, hey, what's this all about? He'd say, who's this about? Who is this about? And, of course, our response would be, well, well Jesus, uh, it's, it's about you. And, and he might ask us, well, what, what are you doing with all this stuff that I've given you, with all that is in your midst? We say, Lord, well, we're trying to live for you, and we, we try to minister for you, and we try to, you know, just do the things that we feel that you've called us to do. And maybe the Lord would ask us, well, what do you, what do you minister Well, we we minister life, we minister, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we we minister love, and the Lord might say, well, where do you get it all? Well, we get it from, I guess we learn, you know, we come on Sunday, or we send our kids to King's Castle, or our youth, to youth group, whatever, we we just kind of learn, you know, no, 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 not where, but from where, you know, from where do you get what you minister? And we'd say, well, Lord, we're supposed to get it from you. And I think the Lord would come to us and he would say, you're right, but I've come to talk to you about not forgetting your source. Not because I need you to need me, but you've got to understand that you can't survive if you ever forget it. It's about you remembering who you are and who I am and what this is really all about. Verse 2 and 3 he says, I know what you have done. I know how hard you have worked and how patient you have been. I know that you cannot tolerate evil people and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not and have found out that they are, they are liars. I want you to understand before we get into the meat of this, that the words that Jesus is sharing with this church in Ephesus, because many of us who are familiar with this letter maybe have kind of over the years read it in a different kind of way. But I want us to understand that these words from Jesus are not words of condemnation. They are words of commendation. And I love those opening words. Time and again, Jesus says, I know. I know. I know. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. Friends, I want to begin this morning by emphasizing the Lord says, I know you. And I, and I haven't forgotten what you do for me or in my name. I haven't forgotten the things that you do in the workplace and in the community and, and the fact that I'm on your mind and that you, you want to serve me and you want to be a light uh, where you are. I, I haven't forgotten that. I'm not overlooking those things. I don't forget the struggles that you, that you face sometimes. And that's why it's so important for us we talk about a relationship with the Lord, it's important for us to understand that, that when it comes to what we call victory, that victory is not just having a positive end result in something. You hear me this morning? Our victory is in the Lord. Now, what I mean by that is that our victory is the Lord. And that's why as we face things in life, as we sometimes have struggle as we go through things, we don't opt just to get out of it. We recognize that the Lord is there. And that's why he says, stay there. Stay where you are because I'm here with you. My, my, my triumph is not in the experience that I had. Sometimes we think that triumph, again, is, is when our circumstances turn out in a positive way, when, when everything turns into a hunky-dory. My triumph is the fact that the Lord walks with me. My triumph is the fact that the Lord says, I know where you are, and I'm with you. That's my victory. That's my triumph. It's not just getting through something. It's not just life getting back to normal or things getting back to an easy road. My triumph, my victory, that's why I can have joy and I can have victory in the midst of the struggle. Whatever it is I'm going through because he is with me. In fact, twice Jesus commends the Ephesians for their their patience. It's an interesting word. It simply means to continue or to remain under. And it doesn't mean to grin and bear it. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean to moan and groan through everything I have to go through until I finally get through it. It's speaking about somebody who recognizes that there's going to be a time that you have to go through something right now, and you've got to get under it. You've got to choose and not walk away from it. You've got to recognize that God is with you. You've got to get under this thing. You've got to carry this thing and keep on moving. Jesus says that he sees their patience, that their patience is constantly pressing on to see the work of God being done. And that's so key for us as believers, especially in this day where everything is expected to happen so quickly. And we want things from the Lord. We want to see things grow in our life. We want to be used by the Lord. But we don't have patience. We don't really recognize in the midst of everything that I have Jesus in my life and Jesus makes a difference, that what I'm going through, he knows where I am, and he has purpose for where I am. It's not because I've displeased him. It's not because he doesn't hear me. It's a season where he says, I want you to bear up under this. I want you to carry this with me. I want to be yoked together. I want us to move together in this season in what it is I want to do in you so that your light can shine, and your light can shine brighter. I want you to move forward. Jesus says that their patience is in seeing the work of God being done. Let me ask you this morning, wherever you are, whatever it is you may be going through, is there a sense in your heart that, Lord, right now where I am, I want your will to be done? I want what it is you want to work in me or through me be done. I don't want to circumvent this. I don't want to short-circuit this. Because really it's the same thing Jesus said in John 9 when he said to the disciples, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus had the same understanding. And, and, and many times you would say things like you know foxes have a place to sleep at night i've got nowhere to lay my head or or just talked about how everybody has left with well, us there's, there's just you have this sense as jesus moved through his ministry that even though people saw the miracles and the wonderful things and the tantalating things that jesus himself for three years he he carried something he, he 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 came under the burden of god and he took it upon himself and he walked with that for three years and god did many things through him in fact the scripture says that jesus Jesus learned obedience, how? By the things he suffered, by his patience, by not walking away, but not refusing to drink the cup, but to say, Father, I know that we are one, I know that you are with me, I know that you'll never leave me, and so I'm going I'm to get under this, I'm going to carry this, I'm going to move forward with you while it's still day. So there was, speaking to the believers of Ephesus there was this tenacity among them that Jesus commends them for that basically said, we're going to see God's work get done. There was also this truthfulness. Jesus said, you cannot bear with those who are evil. And he's not talking with the fact that, that they were impatient with people who messed up. He's not saying that I just love you guys because whenever somebody messed up, you excommunicated them. You, you got rid of them. You got them out of your presence. No, he was talking with people who were committed to this ongoing growth in their own lives, this ongoing purity in their own lives. They had a love for the Lord, a love for his word. And so when something was communicated that just didn't sit with with the heart of God, with the truth of his word, that 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 would kind of ring in their ears and they knew it wasn't right, they could separate the truth from falsehood. In fact, when he says to not bear those who are evil, He's not saying that you had no room for those who are imperfect. He's just saying that for you yourselves, there's just this constant flushing out of your lives anything that's not worthy of a follower of Christ, and I commend you for that. And then Jesus talks about their travail, three T's, I guess, tenacity, truthfulness, and travail. He says in verse three, you are patient, you have suffered for my sake, and you have not given up. Suffered's an interesting word. It's the word that basically means very hard work. Very hard work. It's not just persecution. It's, it's, it's from within. It's just this giving yourself to very hard work. It's kind of like the same idea. It's related to the idea of giving birth. And it speaks about an attitude of believers who, through their persistence, were saying, Lord, we want the reality of your life to happen through us. And Lord, we are willing to go through whatever we've got to go through for that to happen. Do you hear me this morning? Lord, we're willing to go through what you need to put us through or what we need to go through in order for us to have a living faith. You know, something we forget again in our culture today is we forget that God works in our lives in seasons. And how many understand that seasons take time, right? I mean, doesn't the winter season seem like it just goes on forever. And yet we know that there's still life in that season. There's still a purpose for that season. Every season is the same. And a lot of us, we wonder why we don't grow. We wonder why we don't have this living faith. Why we're not excited about Jesus and the things of God. It's because we don't want to endure seasons. We don't want to suffer, to use that word, to see the growth that God intends. We want a microwave faith. We, we want microwave miracles. We want microwave answers to prayer. We want microwave, microwave. It's just kind of like this popcorn Christianity. We don't have patience for anything to simmer, anything for, for of substance for God to work in our life. We just want things right away, but that's not how it happens. Friends, hear me this morning. Life in Jesus, it's something you have to walk out. That's why it's called walking in the Spirit, The faith walk. That's why it's called walking with the Lord. You have to be persistent. You can't quit. You have to hang in there and persevere, even if you don't see anything happening. And one of the reasons why you do that is because you come to understand that you're willing to go through what's necessary to go through in order to have a real faith. In order for Christ to truly be formed in you. And for the fruitfulness of that to become evident. Jesus commends them for a tenacity to see the work of God go forward. For a truthfulness that doesn't tolerate sin in their own lives. And for a travailing that was willing to endure whatever was necessary for the light of Christ to burn brightly in their lives. And so when I kind of imagine the face of Jesus as he's dictating these words to John regarding the church in Ephesus. I don't see this look of irritation on his face with all the commendations Jesus gives them, I kind of see Jesus saying, listen, I know the things that are important to me are important to you. But then there's a slight change of tone. And he says, but this is what I have against you. How many find those to be heavy words? I mean, the thought that Jesus has something against me. I don't know if you're like me, but You know, when I read those words, or when I used to read those words years ago, I mean, they just kind of had a certain impact on me. But we need to interpret that, uh, what exactly that means, I think, before we see what it is he had against them. When Jesus says, I have this against you, I don't believe what Jesus is saying. He's not talking like we talk. He doesn't mean the same thing, I don't believe, that we mean when we say that. When Jesus says, I have this against you, he's not saying, I don't believe. Listen, I've just got this list of things where you have failed me. I've got this ax to grind with you. Does anybody kind of interpret it that way when you read those words? I get this against you? It's kind of like Jesus saying, I've got this bone to pick with you. I don't believe that's what he's saying. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I believe what Jesus is saying is this. Very simply, I have something I need to be aware of. And what, what, by having this against you, and because you've probably experienced it like I have, and so I'm going to bring this pressure to bear on this certain thing that I want to address because I just want you to feel the pressure applied, not, not a pressure to crush you, but an area that I need to reshape. You understand what I'm saying this morning? So it's not this condemnation that I've got this against you, But rather, I'm just going to bring this pressure to bear against you so that you are aware of this particular thing, this particular area, and you're aware that I want to do something. I want to change something in there. I want to recreate something that's kind of been, maybe been lost. And here's what he says. This is what I have against you. You do not love me now as you did first. Another translation says that you have left your first love. And again, I don't know how many times over the years when I was younger, I would read that verse, and I would just have this pang in my heart. It would, it would kind of remind me like when the disciples were with Jesus in the upper room, the Last Supper, before he went to the cross, and he, and he said, one of you will betray me. Remember what the disciples asked, Lord, is it me? Is it me? How many have ever read through this verse in Revelation where the Lord says, I have this against you, and your thought was, Lord, is it me? What, what do you have against me? What, where am I messing up? Lord, show me that area where I'm, where I'm disappointing you. And that I know there's never been a time in my life where I've consciously said, Lord, I'm just leaving my first love now. I don't know if very many of us have said that consciously. I'm just checking out. Lord, I'm tired of you, and I'm just walking away. So when I hear Jesus speak these words, I understand that he's not pointing to, uh, to something, you know, because he says, I just need your worship. I, I just need you to be totally focused on me though we need to be, I believe what he's pointing to is something that is so essential to the light of his spirit really being seen in me. He's not saying, I have something against you because you left your first love. He's saying, I want you to recover something that's so important, because what I have for you, what I intend for you, what I want to do through you it's, it's just never going to happen the way things are going right now. You've lost sight of where it all begins. Years ago, when I was in college, my parents moved to the state of Oregon. They always lived in nice places when I moved. In fact, they didn't even tell me they moved, but I found them. Um, they moved 28 times in their married life. 28 times. And it was hard back then, you know, because um, we didn't have all the search agencies that we have nowadays, but... I would always find them, and they would keep feeding me and clothing me, and I don't know why I got onto that tangent, but in any case, um, they moved to Oregon, and uh, Beaverton, Oregon, just outside of Portland, and back in those days, there was a pastor, uh, Dr. Harold Jeffries, and he was the pastor of of quite a large evangelical church. There were thousands of people in this church, but he also had oversight of about 100 other churches as kind of a, a superintendent of sorts, and he related the story once how he was in prayer. He was just on his knees before the Lord in prayer, and he was just praying for a, a key. He was going to be, I think he was going to be addressing the pastors or maybe just want to encourage them. And he was looking for this key, just saying, Lord, I just, I just pray that you would just show me a key, a plan, just, Lord, just, just a technique, whatever it is that you want me to share with these pastors. Because, Lord, we want to see change. We want to see growth. We want to see, we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in this region. And he said, I was on my knees, and I was just asking the Lord for this. Lord, just what is it? What what key would you show me that would shake this region by, by your power? And he said, I looked into the face of Jesus, and what he said to me were these words. Love me. That's it. Just love me. In fact, I had a similar encounter not too long ago when I was in prayer, and I was just saying, Lord, you know, I just want to see you move, want to see you move in your people, want to see, Lord, this place just moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just felt the Lord impress in my heart, Paul. My power is my love. And I know that sounds kind of syrupy and sappy for a lot of us in some ways, but we're not just talking about this, this nice feeling that kind of makes all the bad feelings go away that there's a power in knowing the love of Jesus for you. There's a power that's inherent in loving Jesus, in actually being in love with Him and allowing your life to be lived out of that love. Because I really believe that inherent in these words is the truth. And hear me, saints, on this, that the key to our walk with Jesus Christ, it's just the simplicity of loving Him. In fact, that's really what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's a baptism of love. And again, it's not this wishy-washy, syrupy kind of love. It's, it's a, a, an absolute confidence of knowing Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing his love for you, and beginning to live in the identity of who you are as a child of God. There's just so many things that you don't do because you, you just love him. There's so many things that you step out and you do because you just love him. It's the simplicity Of his love. Just keep it simple. And that's really the problem we all face because we're we all get caught up in busyness, don't we? We all get distracted with stuff. We even get caught up in the busyness of good things, Jesus things. But we miss Jesus. This is what I have against you. Do not love me now as you did at first. You have left your first love. Now, what is Jesus saying? Well, I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying, listen, there's this list of things you used to do that you don't do anymore. That's not what he's saying. In fact, John tells us we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Love is not a lifestyle, it's a person. That's what first love is. First love is not a routine, it's a relationship, isn't it? First love is not a lifestyle, it's a person. In fact, Jesus is called the first of a few different things in the Bible. He's called the firstborn of the Father. He's called the firstborn from among the dead. Here in Revelation, he's called first love. And any of us here this morning who have truly come to know Jesus, then we've also come to understand that before we knew him, we really didn't know what love was. We knew a degree of it. We, we experienced it at a degree, but we didn't know what real love was until we knew his love. Jesus, he says, is first love. He is the source of love. And so when Jesus says that you've left your first love, what he's saying is that you have left a certain kind of relationship with him. And that's what I want to focus on as I wrap up this morning. You have left a certain kind of relationship. With him, It was about 32 years ago that Vanessa and I first met. It wasn't long in the relationship before I knew that uh, this was the woman I was going to marry. But you know, once I made that commitment, then my relationship with her became a priority. Remember that? This is a good time to raise your hand, guys. Just, yes, yes, oh yeah! it's just like yesterday, and it hasn't changed. But when I made that commitment, there was a shift. I found myself wanting to do the things she wanted to do. I wanted to go to the places that she wanted to go. I mean, today, 32 years later, I still watch Downton Abbey. I'm sorry guys, it's just a love thing. And I kinda like it, it's a nice show. But I wanted to talk to her. And I trusted her completely. If she said something about something, then I agreed, and it wouldn't matter if somebody contradicted. It wouldn't matter if somebody says, hey, she's full of it. That's not the, I'd say, no, no, man, you're wrong. She told me this. I believe her. I mean, our, we had a, just a solid foundation of a relationship. And friends, when Jesus says, you do not love me now as you did first, I believe what he means is this, that what I say to you doesn't make as much difference anymore. What I say doesn't carry the same weight that it used to. Remember how excited you used to be when you first learned that you could actually know Jesus? Remember when you first came to the Lord and how amazing it was, how profound it was that I could actually love Jesus, that he actually loved me, that I could actually talk to him. I mean, I can remember even in my young years of walking with the Lord, how how situation after situation. I mean, I would come to him in the simplest of things, and I would say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I can remember as a 10-year-old, we used to have to go to hockey at 5.30 in the morning. That's when we played. Thank God for hockey dads back in those days. I don't know how they did it. I would have just signed my kids up for crochet or something if I had to be up at you know, even 4 o'clock to get ready. And I can remember as a child just having fun with Jesus. I wouldn't even use my alarm clock. I'd say, Lord, I need to wake up tomorrow at four 30. 4:30 on the dot I'd wake up a week later lord how about waking me up at 4:27 4:27 I wake up and look at my clock and I would just laugh and say thank you lord how about 10 goals I actually got 12-1 game but then they bumped me up to another level but that's what Jesus was saying what I say doesn't seem to make as much difference to you anymore prayers become a mandatory thing. Friends, do you know that you can actually fall in love with love? Ask yourself this morning, as you were worshiping the Lord, as you had your hands raised, what were you focused on? I don't mean grocery lists and stuff, but I mean, what were you after? What were you feeling? What were you experiencing? Because you see, we can actually love his presence and not love him. We can worship worship. We can actually live in this thing called the kingdom of God And forget who the king is. That's just how we're wired in our fallen nature. It is just so easy. In fact, I don't don't consciously think this, but I just notice this sometimes. How often in the body of Christ, you know, people refer to God as, you know, the Lord. And He is. I even hear some people, they they probably mean well, but, you know, the man upstairs or the good Lord. We've gotten away from just the simplicity of it's Jesus. We're just talking about Jesus. We love Jesus. We worship Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. He is the center. I don't remember exactly when it was, but in our dating relationship, but I do remember a time in my life when something would happen, and the the very first person I would want to contact, I'd want to call, I would want to talk to was Vanessa. It wasn't my parents. I had a great relationship with my parents, loved my parents dearly, but there came a time somewhere, a shift in that dating relationship, and my parents' opinion just wasn't as important as it used to be. Ben shaking his head. <laughs> doesn't even hear what I'm saying this morning. He's going to go home and say, speak to me, Amy. What would you say to me? What would you have me do? But I remember that time in our relationship, but the point is this, where you turn first, that's what determines first love. Where do you go first? Where do you turn first when when there's a problem, when something comes up? I mean, something happens, let's just say financially, that's common for everybody, your first thought is, how am I going to work this out? Well, let's see. Maybe I can work extra hours. Maybe I can get a second job. One of us can. Maybe we've got a bit of savings in our account. That'll get us through for a period of time. Or, or, or maybe, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I can get a loan. I don't know how we're going to do this. And I just kind of see Jesus standing there in the wings. And it's not a matter of him needing his ego stroke somehow. But he says, listen, you can't leave your first love because I don't want you to not have what I want for you. And I'm not just talking about toys and trinkets. The Lord is saying, listen, you know how badly I want to show you that I'm your provider. I'm your physician. There's gifts and things I've given in the world today, and I may use those things to meet some of your needs. But I want you to turn to me first. I want you to give me an opportunity to to show you that I that I'm here in the midst of this that I love you that I want to be real to you that I can I can pull this together I want you to get under the burden of this right now. I don't want you to just run away from it. I don't want you to just go to somebody else to find a solution in order to think that you know I can get through this even though I might get more debt doing it or or you know it may not go the way you had in mind but just so I can get this so that the the suffering or the difficulty stops and I can get on with my life. I want you to get under this. I want you to carry this i want you to walk with me in this because i want to show up i want to show you that i can walk with you i want to show you what it means to be yoked with me i want you to know my presence in the midst of this i want to be real to you i don't want to be compartmentalized in your life i don't want to be just this religious thing that you believe in a religious thing that you do i want to be strong in the midst of my people I want people around them to see that their God is real. I want you to give me the chance to be who I am. The Lord's not heavy-handed with us. I just kind of picture sometimes, it's like we're this, we're this runaway horse. You know, instead of just being still and knowing He's the Lord, instead of taking things to the Lord in prayer, instead of giving the Lord an opportunity just to be sovereign in the midst of whatever it may be, we're just like this runaway horse, and it's like the Lord is running beside us saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and he said this five or six times and nothing happened. And finally he just says, stop. Stop. And he takes us by the reins. And he comes around the front and he just takes our face in his hands. And he says, I know you're trying hard. And I know you mean well. But you're straight away from what it's all about. It's about me. Your relationship with me and my love for you. Saints, we can't get far away from Jesus and expect anything to happen in our lives that really matters. It's just not going to happen. Life can go smooth again for a while. We can fill our life with stuff. We can, whatever. But stuff that really counts, it's not going to happen when we stray away from the Lord. And I'm just trusting enough this morning, maybe naive enough to believe that none of us here really wants to be far away from the Lord. We just allow the busyness and the pressures and the hurts and the difficulties to wedge us apart. I was getting ready to minister some time ago and I knew that I needed some time for prayer. And so I came into the sanctuary and started to pray fast. Not fast and pray. I just started to pray fast. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, uh, I got a lot of territory to cover, only got a few minutes, so here it goes, Lord. Now, I kind of have this subconscious pattern of prayer. I don't fall into routine necessarily, but since I was young, I follow an acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, maybe you've heard. It just stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. So I always try to incorporate those things into my prayer time. And so, you know, so I come to prayer, I come to the sanctuary, I've only got a few minutes, so I get down on my knees and I start right in. Oh, Lord, I worship you. Lord, I, I enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. Lord, I, I just worship you this morning. You are the source of life. You're who I need. And, and, and I'm going on and on for I don't know how long, probably a few minutes. And it's almost like in my, this, my ear of my spirit, I to hear this, ahoy there. You ever have that happen? It's just whatever. it just kind of caught my, I'm not saying I, I heard the actual voice of the Lord. No words are necessarily spoken, But it's kind of like the Lord saying, what are you doing anyway? Well, Lord, I'm I'm praying in a hurry. You know, I'm worshiping you in a hurry. And it's kind of like I just feel the Lord saying, well, what is it you want? What are you after? And my thought was just, Lord, I just really want you. I just really want to know that you're with me. I want to know that I'm walking with you today as I prepare to minister. I just want to know that you're going to be with me whatever I do today. And, of course, the Scripture came to my mind, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You see, if I'm telling the truth, what I was drawing near to was worship. Not drawing near in worship to talk to Jesus. I was just doing worship. You hear me? I was performing worship. Worship is good, but I was just kind of worshiping worship. I was just kind of getting worship in. And, of course, Jesus had said on one occasion, these people draw near to me with their lips, but what? Their hearts are far from me, and that was me. I was doing all the right things, but I wasn't getting anywhere because my heart wasn't on the Lord. So I just said, Lord, your word says that if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. And so, Jesus, I'm drawing near to you. Like that. The Lord was there. He was there. I didn't have to go through this checklist. list. I didn't have to, you know, work my way into his presence. And in the space of about five minutes, the Lord settled more things in my heart that time than he would have been able to settle in 45 minutes of just prattling on, getting the time in. I'm going to ask Pastor Kristen to join me. I don't know if we need the whole team this morning right now perhaps just Pastor Kristen can come as we close with a song this morning. I want us to understand this morning is saying Jesus is not running some kind of spiritual boot camp where he says, okay, drop down and give me 60 minutes. Because that's what we feel like. Okay, I've got to put in 30 minutes at least. I've got to put in whatever. And I'm not against that. Do that, yes. I probably average 20 minutes. Once a week or so, I have kind of a knockdown Drago time. It's wonderful, but on a daily basis, whatever, 20, 30 minutes, whatever. And then just through the day, as the Lord talks to you or there's times you worship, times you pray about something as well, but that's not what he's after in that drill sergeant kind of way. I believe what Jesus says to us is simply this, come near to me and just love me and just experience my love for you. There's things he wants to shape in us, there's things he wants to do in us, and a lot of us, if we're really honest, we've kind of given up on it. We've either thought, well, that's for somebody else, or, or that's not going to happen, or I'm at a certain age, and I've lived my life, and I've lost my opportunity, whatever the case may be, because we're still locked in this mindset of just stuff that we do, or, or a lifestyle that we've created that we try to live up to, and we try to be a good person. I really believe that the Lord in his love, he says to you, "I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that you care about me. I know you believe in me. I know you want to be a witness in your home and in your workplace. I know you try to do good things that you think you'd have me do. I know, I know, I know, I know. But this is the one thing that I just want to press in on you. Because you already know that there's an emptiness there. And I just want to be aware of what that emptiness is. You're just forgetting that it's about me. It's about me. Just know me. Spend time with me. Keep me the center of everything. And you'll discover just automatically that life and ministry and light, it will just flow from you. And your measure is not going to be some other saint, what they're doing, what they're not. That's not your measure. Your measure is just going to be that you love me and you know that I love you and you know that you are pleasing me. That's all. What a wonderful burden to get out from under. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful sometimes if people were just kind of judging you for what you do or don't do and you could just say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm just, I just love Jesus. (laughs) You know, sorry, I'm not living up to your expectations. And it doesn't mean, you know, we, you know, we grow in wisdom and stature before God and man, of course. But you understand what I'm saying? Get out from under that, even out from the burden we impose upon ourselves. And to say, Lord, in whatever time I've got left, I may have 20 years left, I may have 50, I may have five days. I don't know. But Lord, I just want to come back to the place where I know in my heart that you are saying, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm not well pleased because they do a list of things for me. I'm well pleased because they just love me. They just love me. And they want to walk with me, and I want to walk with them. And they're giving themselves to the long haul. They're not, they're not looking for some microwave faith. And when things don't go the way they want to go, they're going to still stick with it. They're going to get under that. They're going to walk with me and bear the burden with me because they realize that I'm there. And that's what is important. It's not about just how it turns out or how your plans turn out. It's the fact of knowing that where I am right now, I know Jesus is with me. I have a living faith. Here's a beautiful old hymn that we sing from time to time. You know the words probably. It's just, what a friend we have in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? God of all creation, I don't call you servants. I'm not your drill sergeant. I'm your master. Yes, you say, yes, Lord. But you say it from a heart of love and trust. I don't call you servants. I call you, say it with me, friends. Friends. And I call you friends because I have made known to you what the Father's doing. And so as you move through your day, it's not mandatory that you pray. You don't have to fit it in. It's not, it's not this stuff that I got you to do for all day. It's just, if you spend some time with me, I'm going to let you in on some things I'm doing. If you just spend some time together, I'm going to make your heart sensitive to things that are going on around you. And you're going to begin to step out a little bit. And you're going to begin to understand that faith in Christ is not about duty. It's just about responding and and just being able to experience the joy of just seeing God work through your life. Just being a lampstand where you are, being a light where you are, bringing warmth, bringing clarity, bringing whatever it is I want to minister at that time. And you're just free. You're just free from this religiousness. And, And the greatest joy in your heart is just knowing you're my daughter. You're my son. I just want to encourage you to come back to that place where you just, you just care again what I have to say. You just kind of want to do the things that I'm doing. You want to go to the places that I'm going. And, and you'll find a fulfillment and a joy. We just bow our hearts.